Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Conversations with Carol. I'm joined with a good guest of mine, is a, a member of, of the family, per se, somebody that knows my mom very well. I want to welcome Carl Domino to the set. Uh, thank you for coming. You're a man that have to go through your accomplishments. You're, you're a former House, House of Representatives member. You, are, you got your MBA at Harvard. You have your own law firm. You've done, you've raised quite a bit of capital with different other investment funds. And you also were a, a member of the, the Naval Reserve too, back in, you retired back in 1989. So I welcome you to the center. Thank you for being a guest on the show. And thank you again, Carl Domino. Oh, great. It's great to have met you. Although, as I point out, you could have gone to Florida State. That would have been better. <laughs> but I really enjoyed, your mother and I were uh, whips at the same time. Yeah. Uh, counting votes. We served at the same time. Of course, she went on to become lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. But the one thing you and I share is we both come from military families. Yeah. My dad was a Marine for 27 years. Of course, your, your parents were in the military. And I think that has a lot to do with the kind of people we became. But I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, I've been very lucky in life. Uh, but as you know, Luck has something to do with it. you got to work hard, too. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I want to get into that a little bit because you're a person that has, your resume is very impressive. And you did a lot of these things early on at a young age. You retired. You got your, you graduated from Florida State, uh, my, one of my rivals at the time, but now we're in the Big Ten. And then after that, you, you went to Harvard and got your MBA. And what I want to ask, there's a lot of young people nowadays, especially with COVID and everything going on, there's been a lot of scrutiny around kids going back to school and, and getting their education and then once they graduate getting into the workforce and now they need another five years of experience just to even be considered to hire for a job. And I know back then that wasn't the case for you because it was merit with having an MBA or, or going to a Florida State or coming from a Harvard where once you graduated it was almost seamlessly everybody was giving you jobs around the time that you did graduate. So. What would you suggest to the younger folks that are contemplating whether or not they should go back to school or they want to continue their education or even after that, getting a job in the workforce with their degree that they did earn? So what would you suggest for them? Well, it was a long, long time ago. I happened to graduate Florida State uh, during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to go in. Uh, frankly, one of the keys even then, though, to get a job was they looked at your resume. They, you want, they, they would hire you. For example, I was an accounting major, an um, uh, accounting firm hired me, but only because I had almost top of the, you know, grades at the top of the class, but a, lo a lot of other leadership activities. And then Harvard, I had been in the military, I'd worked and been in the military, and they didn't let you in come right out of undergraduate school. Now, pretty rare to have people from Florida State going to Harvard, but in the 60s when I first got interested in politics, Jack Kenny was my hero. Mm -hmm. And I had a choice, luckily, to go to Harvard Law or Harvard Business. I went to Harvard Business. So I think when I give career advice, and I don't do much of it, <laughs> I, I, I guess the things are, there's no, there's no one path. If you've got talent in a certain area, eventually it's going to work. Right now it's maybe hard to get a job, but that'll change. Yeah. I do think that uh, the best thing to do is if, you can follow, if you're lucky enough to follow your passion, if to do something that you really like doing, mm -hmm. that you want to do. And I know if you want to be a pro football player, but most kids want to be pro athletes. Most boys want to be pro athletes, yeah. but very few get there. Yeah. Uh, money management, it's a great, great thing. Uh, 
But I've always said I've never gone to work a day in my life. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I've always enjoyed what I was doing. And, and that included, you know, when I was stocking groceries uh, to make money on the side, when I was flipping hamburgers at Florida State. So whatever you do, do with a passion. Uh, and, and I know when you're 22, 23, God, the world's going to pass me by. Yeah. Well, guess what? I went to law school at age 70. The world doesn't pass you by. Yeah. So, so, so figure out what is your passion. Uh, sometimes you got to take a job that's less than optimal mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the way to get the better jobs is to study real hard, get real good grades, and you can't do it this year. But do student government or your, your church activities because when people hire you, and it does depend on the job, they want to see a certain characteristic, and leadership is a good characteristic. Now, I was a CP. I was going to be a CPA. Did leadership matter? I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. I thought, boy, if I knew all the accounting stuff, that was good. But as they hire you, they're looking for someone that's going to be there ten years later. Yeah. And that guy, ten years later, he's got to be able to interact with people. Yeah. Uh, I was real shy. I forced myself to take some speech classes because I knew that was an attribute. Mm -hmm. So the answer is, don't be impatient. Follow your patience. Uh, your passions, get the best school you can get, get the best grades you can get. I know it's, I know all those nice weekends at college are great to go out with the girls or whatever. And you got to do that. You should enjoy school. But I've got two 20 year old kids and I want them to get good grades, but I want them to enjoy life. But don't be impatient. Things will come and, and you'll find your niche and you'll, you'll be successful. This is a, uh, an economy has a lot of different things changing. Mm -hmm. uh, no longer do you get a job at 22 and do the same thing for 30 years. Yeah. You, you better learn, you better keep up the skills. But most people will. I, I, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, I, I'm so impressed by the younger generation. Some of it's, they're lucky. I mean, when I wanted to find something out in my ear, I had to go down the library or something <laughs> like that. They just asked Siri. They're really smart kids. Yeah. They, even though they watch TV, they're learning. And, and both of my kids are, 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 are very challenging in terms of uh, the questions they ask and the things they do. I, I, I have so much optimism about our youth, and I think they'll do well. And uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think if they have some patience, study hard, play hard, and, and do what they are really engaged by. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to make the decision at age 22. A lot of people do something for two or three years for whatever reason, and then they do something else. Yeah. Uh, if you wanna go to a law school or a graduate school, try to get into the best one you can because even those job searches, you're gonna have a lot more opportunity to have a Harvard Business School mm -hmm. than you are a Florida State MBA program. Yeah. So always shoot for the as high as you can mm -hmm. and work hard enough to make sure it pays off. Yeah, now I remember you, you just brought up you never worked a day in your life. And I know prior to you opening up your own fund, there's a fund that you work with prior to. And I remember you talking about just now hard work, dedication, persistence, the way you have to work over time. You had a fund, well, you had to manage a fund that was wor worth a million dollars and over a decade, you brought up to $10 billion. Now, that's impressive. That's something that cannot be overseen. What was some of the work that you put in to get it to that point? Because I know that wasn't, that might have been the point that you wanted to get it to, but I know there was a process in there that you had to go about, that you had to complete, that you had to look at to know this is where we need to go, this is where I want to take it. So could you explain that to me a little bit? Well, I don't want to make it about me, but one of the this is about you. One of the negative things about growing up in a military family, and my dad uh, 
served 27 years, so I was, he just sort of ended when I was starting high school. Mm -hmm. You don't know about a lot of professions, you know, I mean, you know an eye doctor, you know, but you really don't know what an accountant is, you certainly don't know what a money manager is or any of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the thing that saves you is the library. Guys that read enhance their world. It goes way beyond, my dad was a warrant officer in the military. Yeah. It, it, and, and when I, I'll, I'll never forget, my dad, like a lot of guys, was really smart, but not book smart. He was, hmm. he was street smart. I mean, he made CWO. And when I said I was going to major in accounting, him and his fr friend, who was a little higher rank, so of course, in the military, if you're a lieutenant and the other person's a JG, well, you're smarter. Yes. It's not like that in real world. Okay. When they said I was going to be in accounting, I was crazy. The computers are going to knock out all accountants. Yeah. And my dad was of an age when his father, and they grew up in a small Mississippi city, and uh, they were big fish in that small city. They had a grocery store. Now, they lived in the back of the grocery store, and the depression comes, and all of a sudden, my dad's family doesn't have money. That's, he, so that's why he went in the military. Mm -hmm. So I, I had took a class in high school where we studied the stock market, and I fell in love with it. I'm a numbers person. Mm -hmm. I'm very competitive, and I was very small. I, I couldn't play football or any of that stuff. I wanted desperately in high school to get a letter. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You run cross country. <laughs> I ran cross country, won the state championship, not because of me, but I got my, my, uh, my letter. So, so you, 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 you then get a, a real break in life after yeah. the military. You go to a Harvard Business School. And when you go to a Harvard Business School, um, you can pretty much choose where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And by then I decided I want to do something in Wall Street. And uh, the only thing I excluded was I really didn't want to go to New York City. So, you know, life is sort of lucky. I, I graduated Harvard in 72. And uh, I found this little firm in Philadelphia. It had been around for a long time, but it wasn't that big. Mm -hmm. But I liked the people. I went there. And in 73, a bear market started. So here I'm a fresh MBA I was married at the time, didn't have a lot of money, and they cut my salary because th the market had gone down. Mm -hmm. But that bad thing turned out to be a good thing. Why? Because although I was only making a, f I was making 15,000 at the time, the guys were making 40 and 50, they had to fire them. Mm -hmm. And I got to manage money in a couple of years. So in a way it's luck. Uh, we had some good marketing people. And I don't want to make too much of this, but there were most Saturdays and Sundays when I was on the train from North Philly to downtown Philly and reading research material while other guys were having fun. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination. You've got to be lucky. I really love the job. I love investing. I wake up to CNBC. I'd go to sleep to CNBC even today. Mm -hmm. And the company grew, and I, I grew with it. So I joined a company had about Three or four hundred million when I left, I had twenty billion. I saw thirteen billion. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, I started one down here. So you got to be lucky in 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 that game, just like your game of football. You could be really good, but there's ten guys maybe better than you. Mm -hmm. In my business, it's the same thing. I'm competing with guys from Citibank and J.P. Morgan, but we were doing institutional money management, and institutional money management is sort of a numbers game. What is your numbers relative to other guys' numbers? Mm -hmm. Our numbers were pretty darn good, good enough to build. We got our first million-dollar account in, in uh, 1975. When I left, that was $13 billion. And then the firm down here, I built up to $2.5 billion. Mm -hmm. So I love to compete. Uh, investing is sort of a, uh, you got to look, you know, it's like 
duck hunting, you gotta shoot in front of the duck. If you shoot at the duck, you're gonna miss them every time because they're moving. Mm -hmm. So you gotta be thinking about what's going on in six months and 12 months. And you also gotta realize, like any good defensive back realizes, there are gonna be some days when you're gonna have a bad day. Yeah. You're gonna buy stocks that are gonna go down. And if you let that own you, uh, then you're not gonna do uh, very well. So once again, the whole principle of when I was in the Navy, you know, doing this, uh, and I've always had two or three jobs I taught at a college, I was in the reserves. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed those things. I never, no one, I never had a feeling for a minute that I had to do it because I needed the money. Yeah. I needed the money, yeah. I could tell you that. But I loved doing it, it was real fun. And uh, it's still fun and then when I got my law degree, I don't really, you know, I don't try to make a living at it. I, I do mostly pro bono stuff. Mm -hmm. But once again, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy going to court, I enjoy studying cases, it's just fun stuff to me. Yeah. So if you're lucky enough to say at the age of whatever I am, I've never worked a day in my life, uh, cool. then you've really been fortunate. That's cool, and I, I do wanna get into your, your law stuff, but I wanna stay on this topic because you said that a lot of people are hit with adversity, you know, and there's days where, there could be weeks where things aren't going your way, and I know there were times where that happened to you. And I, I know you were saying that you have to continue to be you have to continue to persevere through that, but how do you do that? Like there's some people that say, that are hearing this and, and they think, oh, okay, that's good, he said it, but how are some of the ways I can do that? How are some of the ways that I can talk to myself? How are some of the ways that I can manage myself each day to know that if these negative thoughts come in or if I do something bad, I don't harp on those mistakes, but rather see the opportunities in it, the learning lessons, and then continue to move forward? How would you kind of word that to, to somebody Well, listening. you said one good thing, which is you learn. You should learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people are buried by their mistakes. Mm -hmm. We had a guy when I went to work for my firm in Philadelphia that was a really smart guy, and he managed this little growth fund. And if you looked at the market in, in starting uh, in 73 and 74, it was down about 40%. And this poor guy, through no fault of his own, could not make the right decision. If he sold a and Bob B, it was gonna go down. And frankly, after 12 months, he, he just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just mentally was uncharged. So part of it is, I think, try to work yourself out. You play football, a wide receiver beats you on, on thing, well, you, you practice against that move. Mm -hmm. You buy a bad stock, you try to figure out best as you can, why did that stock not work? Now you gotta realize, 30, 40% of the time, stock's not gonna go up. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you have confidence, if you're willing to spend the extra time looking at balance sheets, which isn't fun and that stuff, once my company got big too, we could talk to companies. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, I don't have to take to call the president of a company. And some of my accounts were big accounts like you know IBM and AT&T and, mm -hmm. and, and Dartmouth College. So I was talking to people at a very high, high level. So I guess when the bad times come, you figure out why they're bad. Is it your fault or is it just the environment? Mm -hmm. I mean, in 73 or 74, no one was gonna make money in the market. Uh, six months ago, no one was gonna make money in the market. But if you have confidence in what you're doing, you understand that, that you know the bad things pass, but you buy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have philosophy that stocks are the place to be, and I can document that. So I think, I think you just gotta look adversity in the f face and the best you can. Don't let it uh, beat you down, and you do that by if you're an athlete you, and you took that third strike curve, maybe next time you 
take 100 curves in the batting cage and then you don't hit them. We were talking about golf. Yeah. You're going to miss a lot of putts. You can't let it, it, you can't let it define you. Yeah. Uh, in, in things like accounting and things like investment management, uh, the, the more you study, the more often you're going to be right. But you got to, I guess, understand no matter what your profession is, you're going to mess up sometime. Yeah. You're in the Navy and you're doing most things by the book and there's something you do that you forgot. You're in, in legal practice and you, I had a case that, thank God it was the other side. You had 14 days to response. Well, this guy did 21 days. He took 21 days because he was following the federal rules instead of the state rule. Well, I was supposed to have a big hearing tomorrow. It's been canceled. So you're going to make mistakes. But, you know, once again, you just accept them. You try to learn from them. And you don't make, you know, never try, try never to make the same mistake the second time. Yeah, that's real good advice right there. Now, getting into your law profession, you have your own law firm. But I think what's interesting about your law firm, like you, you just brought it up, you're doing things pro bono. You're doing it in the active because you care about people in society. And, and with everything going on today, bad legal representation, no legal representation at all, or misrepresentation, you are trying to change that. You are going out there. You are somebody that's made a lot of money and could have went to a big firm, could have done other things besides representing people that don't have representation. How, why did you want to do that? What made you get into that? And it's similar along the lines of the movie that came out, Just Mercy, and you're doing almost the exact same thing. You're representing mainly African-Americans, people that are getting misrepresented in the courtroom. What prompted you to want to do that to help? And, and I know you said that's something that you love to do is be in the courtroom and help out. What made you come that come to that or, or want to do that? Well, you mentioned Jess Murphy. Of course, as you know, Brian Stevenson was not a wealthy kid. He went to Harvard. Uh, he took a summer job, basically, mm -hmm. uh, intern. And now he's got a big organization. Mm -hmm. And he's done some remarkable things because... The legal system in many ways works so well. The last few days we're listening to the testimony of someone's going to the Supreme Court. And there's a lot of good explanations how it worked. I chose when I was young to go to get the Harvard MBA rather than the Harvard Law School. And frankly, not for the best of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, i just gotten married, had no money. And I decided two years of an MBA program was just easier than three years of a uh, law degree. Mm -hmm turned out probably to be the best decision of my life because my accounting background, had I gotten that law degree, I'd had to go to some New York firm and I'd, I'd be doing tax returns. I, you know, I didn't want that. Yeah. Money management so much more funny. So I got interested in constitutional law, partially, partially in, in large measure because I've always been interested in politics. I've been a political junkie. Mm -hmm. You go up to Tallahassee, you surf with your mother, yeah. and you're even more interested. So I called Nova Southeast where I went one day. I said, I want to take a course in constitutional law. And they said, uh, well, you just can't take one course. You, you know, you got to take the whole thing. <laughs> I said, well, what does that entail? Mm -hmm. Well, you got you to make an application. You got to send your um, grades from school and you got to take the LSAT. I said, well, I've done all those. Mm -hmm. Now, this was probably, I don't know when it was, June <laughs> or, or something like that. So the lady probably heard over the phone that I wasn't the youngest guy in the world. <laughs> well, when did you take the LSAT, she asked me. Well, I think it was 1964. <laughs> she says, you got to take it again. <laughs> well, I didn't really, I don't, I fail a lot, but I don't like to advertise it. Yeah. So it, it's sort of cute. I signed up to take the the law boards, uh -huh. and uh, we were going on a family vacation in Italy. I'll never forget it. 
and we were going to leave Sunday. And about Thursday, I went to Sharon, my wife. I said, Sharon, I'm going to have to meet you there on Tuesday. <laughs> what, what, what? I said, well, listen, I just got some business. Now, she's known me long enough. She just doesn't pay attention to my phone bills. We have two kids, and it was a big deal. So I went to take the bar exam, and I went all the way up to Melbourne to take it, so I didn't want to run across the local <laughs> people. Yeah. And I did okay. I didn't do great. So I submit my, and then, then they send me a letter from uh, Nolan. Well, you're, you're not going to be able to get in because by the time we get your scores, you're, um, we'll have selected our class. Mm -hmm. This is 2012. Well, I figured with a honors from Florida State, honors from Harvard, legislature, I'd get in. Yeah. And I had a pretty good score. So I did get in. Mm -hmm. and, and I really was just interested in going to law school, and I loved it. It was fun. I studied and everything. Didn't think I'd even study for the bar, but once you go through, you say, oh, I'll take the bar, I'll take the bar. So then what do you do with it? Well, one of the things you mentioned wasn't an alternative. No big law firm was going to hire me, and I also, I also have a money management firm that I spend time. So how do you help people? Well, the first thing I did, actually, was I contacted a friend of mine. There was an opening on the Florida Bar Foundation board. Florida Bauer Foundation administers all the legal aid money that comes through the system. Mm. So I got on that board, and I'm now heading the investment committee. And I said, well, I certainly don't want to do criminal law. That's, that's tough. If I mess up, I could go to jail. Yeah. Uh, family law is sort of the easiest. Civil, I, don't, I do a few civil. I don't really like it because there's so many technical rules. But family law, and I get most of my cases from legal aid or just word of mouth because when you do things for free, you get a lot of yeah. business. <laughs> you have a free buffet and you get a lot of customers. Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing it for several years, and I would say a lot of it is just almost routine, helping people with the paperwork. If you know what you're doing, it's very easy. But mm -hmm. for a person who wants to get a divorce or has had a child and there's an issue of time sharing, it's helpful to have a lawyer. It's actually helpful if both sides have a lawyer. Things get done. Mm -hmm. And I probably at any time, I have 20 to 30 cases. I've done a lot. Uh, I've helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Only once or twice were people ungrateful about that. But mostly it's been a, a, a couple that are married or not married, have a kid, and they want to establish a time-sharing plan. And in most states it's called custody, but in our state it's called time-sharing. Mm -hmm. And then they do child support, which has to do with the time-sharing and your incomes. Of course, if it's a marriage in this state, it's automatic. You automatically can dissolve your marriage. No one can fight that. It's a no-fault state. Mm -hmm. And if I get a client in, say, from legal aid, and they come to my office and they've got to sign a representation letter and I do their petition, if it's uncontested, if the other party is interested in going forward, I can get that done in about three months. But mm -hmm. now, if it's contested, it's six months to the year. Mm -hmm. I, I've had cases, I had one lady, it was a shame. It took almost two years. It's just... The, the, the father had moved to Alabama and he really wouldn't show up for the mediations by phone. But finally, we did all the things you've got to do and you learned those tricks. So it's always nice to help people. And what's the good, what's the selfish side of it? The selfish side is it's a way to learn how to practice the law without putting anyone in jeopardy. In family law, you're really not going to do that. Mm -hmm. The second part of it is I couldn't look my clients in the eye and ask them to pay three or $400 an hour. I mean, I know it's not that complicated stuff. Yeah. And I see lawyers on the other side, they got motions of this, and, and they're just billing up. They're just running up the fees. Yeah. I'm sort of cynical about the business. Uh, I, I, we, we have 80% of the people in the state really can't afford a lawyer mm. because it's so darn expensive. Mm -hmm. a, a, a simple divorce, unless there's a fight, 
you know, five hundred dollars a thousand, but most go to law firm five thousand dollars for a retainer, and yeah. then they they're doing this. They always eat up the retainer, and they get some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, well, I see it in family law. I see a, a, a very long time to get into court. I see a situation where men don't, and usually men don't pay the alimony they've been ordered to. Uh, we go back to court, we get a order of contempt. I'm back there another year because they still don't do it. Wow. The only reason generally that they'll put you in jail if you don't pay is child support. And uh, child support's for the benefit of the child. Mm -hmm. And I've seen guys in cuffs when they didn't pay, all of a sudden they come up with $150. No, yeah, always. Uh, but, but basically, without the legal profession, mm -hmm. certainly in criminal areas and civil areas, we would not have a very good society. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a strong thing. I, I just wish we could make it more affordable for the average person. Mm -hmm. And maybe one of the things that's gonna happen here is with the COVID thing, now we're doing everything over Zoom, why do we need to go to court? Let's say uh, I had a couple come in, the lady came in, she wants a divorce with a man, and it's a simple thing, they've all agreed. Mm -hmm. Well, in the old days, I had to go to court, sit around for half an hour, five minute hearing, judge asked about five questions. I can do that on Zoom without leaving my office. Mm -hmm. Well, in concept, at least, that means I should bill a lot less, and therefore the system should be a lot less expensive. So if I had a, an opportunity to make it a, a more an easier system to deal with. But I, I do caution people to get lawyers. A few cases I've had with wills, with divorces, people have used things like LegalZoom. Mm -hmm. that and worry. you can make a mistake. Yeah. You can make a mistake. Definitely. And, but, but on the other hand, a lot of people can't afford it. You know, you want to, the couple's just decide it's time to get divorced. They've mm -hmm. got two kids. They really each can't afford 10 or 15,000 bucks. So we're just trying to help. And I learn, by, I learn about the law. I, I help people. And, you know, if, if you've been lucky enough to make a few bucks and you can afford to do it, it's certainly not taking any food out of my family's uh, uh, mouths. Uh, I think you do it. Yeah, I think that's commendable. I mean, I think that's why your mom ran for public office. Yeah. That's why I ran for public office. I know there's a cynicism that we're all out there, we're running for public office to get rich. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just not true of 90% exactly. of people. And there's always some game players, but basically, there's people that want to try to make it a better environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're in the legislature, I know this is a little bit aside, uh, I had to fight six or seven years to do something called portability, which allows a couple that had bought a house, homestead it, to move to another house and take their tax benefit with them. Because in this state, starting 1992, if you bought a house and you homestead, let's say you paid 100,000 for it, mm -hmm. and let's say in the, in the early 90s, it went up to 200,000. Well, your taxes can go only up 3% or less a year. Mm -hmm. So you're paying maybe 10 years later, like a, it's $130,000 a house. But the second you sold that house, and let's say you bought the house across the street for 200 grand, all of a sudden your taxes are gonna double or triple. Mm -hmm. So it was a battle we fought. The voters had to vote on it, 67% of the people voted on it. But it's a tangible thing that helped people uh, live their lives, keep as much money away from the government as spent, and it's something I conceptualized, I fought for, and I had, I had it passed. So when I look back, I didn't just go up there to sit in a chair or become yeah. a rep. I, I went up there to do stuff, yeah. and uh, it's why I went to Vietnam. I mean, I never had to go to Vietnam. I had bad eyesight. I could have stayed out of it all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'd been brought up by a military family, and if there's a war on, you go to the war. Yeah. What, you know, why would you want to sit and... NAS Jacks and, and, and send stuff over there. You, yeah. do, you do what needs to be done at the time. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of people don't, I wouldn't say a lot, but 
there are people out there that don't have that same mentality. It's always, what can somebody else do for me? What can somebody else do for me? Let me sit back on my butt and wait for somebody else to help me out, get out of my situation. But you took the, the positive approach. You took the aggressive approach. You're like, look, I'm going to get this done. I need to get this done because it's my duty. It's my right. Now, I know we got into the family law, but what is your outlook with just the whole judicial system in general? Just based, I want to keep this kind of geared towards what's going on now today because it's so, it's so sensitive on everybody's mind because there's one side that says one thing, this needs to be done. There's another side that says this needs to be done. And I think there needs to be a middle ground. And I'm always trying to voice a solution here because I feel like that's the only thing we can do. We can't keep fighting with each other because nothing's going to get done. It'll just be a revolving, vicious cycle. So what do you think needs to be done? Because you're there. You see it all the time as far as what's in the courtroom, how justice is served, how you're able to help. What do you think needs to be done with now and then going forward? Well, the thing is, when you're old and you study, you understand that some of this controversy and fighting happened when we started the country. Yeah. Remember, there was a, uh, you know, there were guys shooting each other, hitting each other. Mm -hmm. There's always controversy. Uh, the political controversy will never stop because of TV. Mm -hmm. You you now have an environment where um, if you say something that sounds good for the other side and then is publicized among your constituents, you may never, they may never vote for you again. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got to accept it. And, and, and I don't know if, I don't think there's a solution to that. The, if anyone's watching uh, TV, these, these hearings for the, Supreme Court nominee are fascinating. It's like going to law school. It's like getting an education. The system is the greatest system in the world. I had the uh, good fortune to spend uh, several days, twice, with uh, Justice Scalia. And the thing he pounded our head was that we are what we are, not because of what's in the Constitution, per se, but because of the separation of powers. As he would put it, mm -hmm. you could go to any country in the world, and they've got a Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got constitutional... But guess yeah. what? They don't have a judiciary that interprets the laws that the uh, legislature does that looks at what the executive... Though that, that balance of power, checks and balances, separation of power, keeps us from being a tyranny. Mm -hmm. And so by and large, I don't know the answer exactly how you get people on the same length. I think it's going to be very, very difficult because there's so much money now. There's so many special interests. And even 20 years ago, between the two parties, there might be a little bit difference in a way. Let, let's take police, for example. No one disagreed 20 years ago. Now, maybe some people thought you needed police to be funded at this level and another... You've got, you've got major politicians saying defund the police down to zero. Mm -hmm. That's not an area you can compromise on. Same with national defense. Uh, the present administration has built up our national defense. Mm -hmm. But there's other administrations that don't believe we need an army. Uh, you know, these are, these are so fundamental differences. Yeah. And I think the other fundamental difference is between capitalism and non-capitalism. I, I'm a person that thinks that all the greatness of America, and I do believe we are the greatest country ever, a lot has to do with the capitalist system. It's a system that lo, uh, allows uh, Nolan Carroll to choose to try to play professional football. It worked out for you, mm -hmm. but it may not have. There are many kids that try to play football. They don't make it. Yeah. But you had the opportunity to do that. I had the opportunity to go to one of the great uh, schools in America. 
uh, I couldn't afford it, but somehow we figured how to get through. I used the GI Bill. America's got more patents every year. We think all these great companies that entrepreneurs, I mean, think of these young kids that are starting companies that are worth a billion dollars. In America, that free enterprise system is so important. And if we smother that if with regulation and taxations, yeah, it'll take a few years. For a few years, it'll say, oh, this is a great life. Mm-hmm. But it won't be. It won't be because freedom is so important, both in terms of uh, our social discourse, but our economic uh, development. Um, one example is we create most of the new drugs in the world. Well, one of the political candidates who didn't make it in his party basically wants to demonize the drug companies. Mm-hmm. Well, those are guys that are inventing cures for cancer and other things. So I'm not sure it's ever going to go away. I think the yeah. difference is so fundamental now that there isn't that core agreement either on the capitalist system or on so many social issues. We're just going to fight through it mm-hmm. and we'll probably survive. Uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of smart people. But see, that's the, see, that's the strength of federalism. What is federalism? Federalism says the federal government does certain things and the state governments does a lot of things. And the state government is sort of an incubation for ideas. And let Floridians decide on a tax policy. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't, have a, we don't have a personal income tax. We don't have a death tax. That brings in a lot of people mm-hmm. to the state. And yet people say, well, our schools don't get enough money. Well, that's a decision that the people have made. Yeah. They've traded off. And in fact, if you look at U.S. News and World Report, I have an uh, argument with a friend of mine. Maryland schools spend about 16000 a person. We spend about nine. Our schools are equally rated in the, at the high school level. We have a lot of wonderful schools in the state oh. of Florida. So I, I think it's with us for a long time. I think uh, if the system holds up, the system, the law, that's what's so scared about this notion of packing the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. We've always had a Supreme Court of nine people, or at least for 150 years, and sometimes the liberal wing's there, and sometimes the conservative wing's there. I consider it more originalist versus uh, living constitution. Originalist, uh, Scalia termed that, which is you believe in the constitution as written and the meaning at the time. But now we have a party talking about, well, if we lose this and there's nine, as soon as we get power, we're gonna make it 12, yeah. and we're gonna have our three our guys come in. <laughs> well, Franklin Roosevelt, t- try that in 1936. But if that happens, then you just will not have a Supreme Court. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it goes away. So I, I continue to be optimistic. I see the young kids being very smart. I see our inventors inventing a lot of unbelievable things. I can't keep up with the technology. <laughs> but you know, that little cell phone that I have in my pocket, when I went to uh, undergraduate school, there's a room three times bigger than that that had the mainframe computer that I learned on. Mm-hmm. Now it's much more powerful than that little cell phone. Yeah. If we don't regulate, we'll keep getting those benefits for our people and they'll be more prosperous. Our, our generation, the next generation will be more wealthy than we are. They'll be better educated than we are. They'll be healthier than we are as long as we stick to the fundamentals of free enterprise and freedom. Uh, and I'm just absolutely convinced of it. Uh, that's great words. Great words coming from you. And and definitely appreciate you coming on the show, Conversation with Carol. I didn't want to keep you too long. You know, I, I know well, you've been watching TV. famous for not being a short answer person. No, I know this. Man. As you can understand, I, I've... Uh, I guess, like many people, I'm a super patriot. I believe in America. I was yeah. willing to go to war. I, not that I was, no kid at 22 goes to war and expects to be killed. Yeah. But some are, mm-hmm. and you, you understand that risk. And, and yet I was lucky to have two great parents. Uh, we weren't very wealthy, 
but it allowed me, uh, the system allowed me to rise above that mm-hmm. in in, I don't know how you measure. Do you measure it by wealth? No, I measure it by having a happy life, bringing up kids. But that's the America that I grew up in. I, don't, I want to see that America uh, stay around, and I think it will. I really do have a lot of confidence in our youth. I have a confidence, although it's a little liberal, our educational <laughs> environment. But these kids are smart, and they're learning things, and it's going to be good. We're going to have... Uh, we're going to have a great future. I, you know, the one issue of getting old is you're not going to get to see it all. And, uh, hell, I want to see Florida State win a national championship. <laughs> I'm not too confident about that anymore. You're going to have to wait maybe a couple of years for it that It might one. be. I but you witnessed a couple, though. You witnessed some before. I saw before. three. Yeah, no, I know. I witnessed some. It's crazy. I only beat Florida State one time. Once. And I was lucky enough, you know, in 1995, I was national booster chairman. I got to play uh, I got to play golf a lot with uh, Bobby Bowden, okay. and to me, uh, I'd say the greatest Americans in my mind: Ronald Reagan, Bobby Bowden, Anton Scalia, and Jack Nicklaus. Really? And I've gotten to, uh, except for Reagan, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with each of those three. They're just nice. great, beyond what they're known for golf or that. They're yeah. just great human beings. They're just great human beings, and uh, there's a lot of great human beings out there. We'll we'll find them. Yeah. Now, why Bobby Bowden? It's interesting because now that I have you on here. Being on the opposite sideline, I would see him. I would notice him. You would feel his presence. But what made him that type of person? Because he's one of the all-time greats in college football. Well, in terms of football, and the reason I think he is one of the greats, unlike many of the people that are considered great coaches, they generally took over programs that have been very, very successful. Mm-hmm. In 1972 and 1973, Florida State almost gave up football. Mm-hmm. And we had a bad record. And Coach Bowden was up there in West Virginia. His first year didn't go so well, and they hung an effigy in his backyard. So he was looking to get out of there. So Florida State hired him in 1976, and three years later, he was fighting for national championships. And I'm not on the inside. I'm sure he was tough in many ways. Mm -hmm. But while he was doing all this stuff, he ministered to prisoners, you know, right up the road. Uh, He would do his show uh, Saturday night, and then uh, Saturday morning he was over at the prison wow. uh, down the road. Uh, he, he's just a good person, a uh, very good human being. So aside from being a great coach, and I don't know that anyone will ever break his record, 14, 15 years in the top five, maybe maybe someone will. Mm-hmm. But that's a hard thing to do. Definitely. And uh, I know there's some players I've talked to that weren't in love with Bobby Bowden. Uh, but, you know, he had to make some tough decisions. Mm-hmm. But I think he, I, th- I think he's a great human being. Unfortunately, he's you know he's 90 years old now. He's got the COVID. Hopefully that'll be over uh, yeah. by. But you don't find many, and, and there may be many, many more. Mm-hmm. But he's the one I got to know. He did so much for Florida State. Uh, you know, I was not an athlete, but I loved it. Uh, people don't quite realize that because of a successful football program. People will come to the school to see the games, and they're the people that might contribute to the library or to the education center or the business school. People that may not even be interested. That's even true in the Ivy League where, you know, it's not really a big deal to play football. Mm-hmm. But still, kids come, guys come back, and they see their alma mater, and they visit. So I think Bobby made a tremendous contribution. He was a tremendous human being. You never heard any scandal around Bobby Bell. Never. And I don't think you ever would. And uh, the kids I know that played for him, uh, they just... They love him. They That's just cool. couldn't think. And on the record, he he had one of the you know one of the better records out there. You know, year after year, getting a poll, being the top five. 
could have won, you know, could have, should have. I mean, he could have won three or four more. If it weren't for the University of Miami, he probably would have won three or four more. <laughs> those those wild darn lists, field goal kickers, he might have yeah. run three or four more. But it was so exciting to be at the first one he won because if you remember, Nebraska missed a field goal. And so everyone's celebrating. That's right. But there was a flag. Uh -huh. They got a second chance and uh -huh. they missed it. Because uh -huh. everyone wanted Coach Bowden to win that national yeah. championship. That's and, cool. And... Uh, He's a humble guy, mm -hmm. but he was he was a great coach, and uh, he thought a lot about continuity. A lot of his staff stayed with him for a long time, mm. and you know, Nolan, it was an era where probably a great coach made five hundred thousand a year, not seven point five million. Yeah, they're making they made more than I did. They're when making I pretty good Jeez, money. Yeah, they did. Well, Carl, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for taking the time out to speak with me. I know the last time we spoke was maybe. When we had this type of discussion was when I was a rookie in the NFL, didn't even know how life was. And for you to come back almost a decade later and, and give me some knowledge, give me some advice, I appreciate you doing that. Well, you did a great job uh, in your career. I give a lot of credit to that to your parents. Oh, I, I know she, your yeah. mother very well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she uh, had to discipline you a few times. Oh, she did. And, uh, she did. <laughs> it, it was good for you. It did. It helped me out a lot. It's still helping me today. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Best of luck. I appreciate it, Carl. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.